Well, I just want to quickly give a shout-out of thanks, really, to all the people. Every Sunday, there's an amazing group of people here. Many people are involved in serving and making Summit happen. And I'm just so thankful for them. And then they went out of their way like they normally do on this special day. And I'd just like to give them a round of applause if you would join me in that. So this morning we will be actually in the book of Romans, but a different spot. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. If you're using that blue Bible, you can flip that open to page 942. That will bring you to that spot in Romans. I've titled this message, The Christian's Relation uh, to Christ's Resurrection. The Christian's Relation to Christ's Resurrection. Let me just say a few things by way of introduction. As Christians, we believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not some ancient fictional story, but rather that it is absolute historical reality. It is our conviction, beloved, that it it really happened. We believe Jesus was a real person who lived on this earth, was crucified, and died, and his dead body was placed in a tomb. But unlike others before him who had died, his body did not slowly rot away. Instead, he was powerfully and gloriously raised by God to live, never to die again. The Apostle Peter said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, when he was preaching to a crowd on the day of Pentecost, this Jesus, the one we've been speaking about, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Beloved, just a a side note. That is one of the most powerful evidences for the reality of Jesus' resurrection. These men claim to be witnesses to this supernatural event that God himself raised his son from the dead. And they were murdered for it. They were murdered for their conviction. They were martyred. Now, let me ask you something. If you were lying about that, if you were making that story up to try to gather some people together or try to create a coup against the government, whatever people claim that they were doing because they don't want to believe the truth about Jesus' resurrection, if you were lying about that and someone said to you, okay, now your head's going to be chopped off unless you tell us that's not the truth because we know it's not the truth, what would you do if you were lying about it? I think at that point I would say, all right, (laughs) it's a joke. I was kidding. I made the whole thing up. I am not willing to give up my blood for this lie. But beloved, none of them did that. None of them. They were murdered. And they accepted their martyrdom. They accepted being killed because they knew and they could not deny the truth and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's one of the strongest evidences for the fact that they were witnesses, this event really happened. Additionally, we know Jesus' resurrection was not something that took him by surprise, right? 
He didn't just like, whoa, what's this all about? Thought I was dead, good and gone, but now I'm alive. No, it wasn't a surprise for him. We know the scriptures tell us often that he told his disciples prior to his death that that is exactly what was going to happen, that he would rise again. Let me remind you, by way of the word of God, Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. And they were on the road, Jesus and his disciples, going up to Jerusalem where he would be betrayed and murdered and crucified. And Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. And the son of man, that's a reference to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes the Jewish religious leaders, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, to the Roman powers. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And this always followed. And after three days, he will rise. And beloved... That is exactly what happened. Exactly. And I am convinced that anyone, anyone who will sincerely, honestly consider the evidence concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ would have to, if they really had an open mind, would have to necessarily come to the same conclusion that Christians have. Jesus rose again, just as he said he would. In light of the historical reality of Jesus' resurrection, an event that occurred now almost 2,000 years ago, the event that Easter should really be all about, I wanted to speak to you about a vital spiritual reality, a very important, significant spiritual reality that is true for every single Christian as a result of Jesus' Christ historical resurrection. Okay? That's what I want to do this morning. Now, most of you know we, we just started in the book of Romans, and we're still in chapter 1. And by the way, I would love for all of you that are here today to be here next Sunday. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you who are regular attenders love the people that are around you now? Wouldn't you love for them to be here next Sunday? We would love for you to be here. Where's nice people? We won't hurt you. We will love on you to get to know us. But we would love to see you. We would love for you to be involved and be here and hear and be exposed to the word of God that is transforming our lives. Okay? So come back next week, please. We, we urge you. We plead. But this morning, we're going to leave chapter 1, and we're going to jump all the way to chapter 6. And we're going to look at just five verses, and really, we're going to look at primarily two verses, verses 4 and 5. But i got to read the five verses just for the context, and then explain some things to you, because we're kind of jumping right into this. So, beginning in Romans 6, verse 1, I'm just going to read the text, and then we'll get started. Reading through to verse 5. Follow along with me. In your Bibles, what shall we say then? It's the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Romans, the Christians in Rome. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If you have your bulletins inside, most of you know this, but if you're new with us on the left-hand side, there's a place there to take notes if you like to do that. But there's also an outline. And this morning what we're going to do, you'll see this there, we're going to consider basically what I said, a vital spiritual reality for Christians that is connected to Christ's glorious resurrection. That's what we're going to look at. So that we might come to appreciate and celebrate the significance of Jesus' resurrection even more. Even more. And it's simple, beloved. One point this morning. Right? One point, because I really need to finish on time. Newness of life. That's it. That's that vital spiritual reality. Newness of life. That's all we're going to look at this morning. But before we do that, I need to give you a little bit of background about Romans 6. And why the Apostle Paul presented this question in verse 1. Because this is important. He said this. This is how he starts the chapter. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's his question. Now, listen to me carefully. I'm going to speak slowly because this is all the background to kind of lead up to this. The book of Romans, as I have said before as we've moved through this this wonderful book, is primarily a thorough explanation of the gospel. Of the gospel. The gospel being, as we've talked about, the good news of Jesus Christ. And to be a little more specific, how Jesus alone rescues believing sinners from the wrath of God. The wrath that every sinner justly deserves and not only that but the gospel is about how jesus alone reconciles the guilty sinner to god so that he or she can finally and forever be at peace with god and have eternal life with him according to romans according to the word of god According to the gospel of God that is explained in the book of Romans. Sinners, or to say it another way, people. People. Every person. Sinners are not and cannot be saved by their own efforts. Let me say that again. Sinners cannot, are not cannot be saved by their own efforts. And that is by trying to keep or obey the law of God or by performing good deeds. But according to the word of God, they are only saved 
by God's grace. Which, as I've said to you before, means his unmerited favor, his undeserved blessing and kindness and goodness. Undeserved, beloved. What sinners deserve is the wrath of God. They are guilty and they stand condemned. They can only be saved by his unmerited favor. They cannot earn it. They can do nothing to make themselves right with God. And they do that through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Who is the saving one? That's the one we sung about. That's how we started our praise to God this morning. He is the saving one. And he is the saving one alone. Faith in him. And who he is. And what he has done. Makes condemned sinners. Savable. That's what makes them savable. That's what makes them acceptable. It is Jesus Christ alone and what he has done that removes all the guilt of all of the sinner's sin and makes them right with God. It's the gospel, beloved. Every sinner, every single one, myself and many of you throughout all time, throughout history, they are saved in the exact same way. I don't get in one way and you get in another. They are saved the exact same way by the amazing grace of God that provided a perfect solution for our sin and our utter lack of righteousness. And Jesus has done that through his sin-bearing, substitutionary sacrifice and his perfect righteous life through those things. The sinner, the believing sinner, is saved. Now, in explaining the gospel, as Paul has been doing throughout the book of Romans, now we're picking it up in chapter 6, and the amazing wonders of God's grace for guilty and condemned sinners that is experienced through Jesus Christ, Paul makes this statement in Romans 5.20. We're not going to look at it. But I'm just going to tell you, he makes a statement. It's, it's right at the end before we get to chapter 6 where Paul asks that question that we're talking about. He basically says that where there is an increase in sin, there is even a greater increase in God's grace to overcome the sin. That's right. Where there is an increase in sin, God's grace exceeds it. God's grace overcomes it. So no matter how great our human sin is, God's grace through Jesus Christ abounds or overflows beyond the sin. And that grace is able to maintain the believing sinner's right standing with God. Okay? That grace maintains our right standing. We don't maintain our right standing with God. God's grace, his unmerited favor, maintains our right standing with God. Or to say it another way, God's grace through faith in Christ is able to continually declare a sinner to be just before God. Did you hear that? That is crazy. Huh? That's nothing like we know on this, on this earth. 
That's God's grace. It's amazing. He does the work. All of it to make us right before him. And we don't deserve any of it. It demonstrates how great and powerful and wonderful God's grace really is. Now, thinking about Paul's comments at the end of chapter 5 about this abounding grace towards sin, that where there is an increase in sin, there is an even greater increase in God's grace to cover the sin, someone could draw a wrong conclusion about the gospel of God. They could conclude that sinning or even sinning more would produce a greater display of God's grace as it abounds to cover sin. And in that, God would somehow maybe receive even more glory. So, why not just sin away? I mean, if that's true, that where sin increases, God's grace increases even more, And when we see that, we stand in awe of God. Wow, God, if that's true, why not just sin, sin, and sin some more? Because in that, we'll see God's grace overcome. Someone could draw that wrong conclusion. Let me give you an illustration of that wrong conclusion. Something like this. You ever seen a guy bench pressing, lifting weights, right? All of you have seen that. Some of you have maybe done it. Maybe even some of you ladies bench press and lifting weights. Okay? And you don't really know how strong a guy is until you start to stack the weights on the bar. Right? This is, this is where men demonstrate their strength. Right? Put on, the, oh, put on another one. Put on another one. And then you can see. You can see the strength being exerted. And, and you really get to see just how powerful this man is. How hard he has worked as, he, as you add more weights to that bar. And you, get to, you just stand back and, oh, wow, this guy is really strong. In the same way, someone could get the idea, maybe that's, that's what God wants, right? We see his strength, we see his grace as, as, as sin is poured out. He matches that, he overcomes it. Oh, here's some more, God. Let me see how powerful you are. That was the potential thinking or the wrong conclusion that even some have drawn in our own time that say, oh, you Christians, all you talk about is grace. You don't care about sin. People can do whatever they want. That is so not true. That is a misunderstanding of the gospel of God. That is a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying because they don't get the whole picture. Yes, God's grace abounds where sin increases. That is true, and I'll never back away from it. But that's not the whole picture. That's not the whole story. And so to counter that type of thinking that could rise, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Really? And his answer could not be more clear. Look back at the text. What's he say? By no means, exclamation point. The NASB says, may it never be. The New King James says, certainly not. And then Paul says this. 
How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? How can we? Now, listen. I know we haven't even got to the resurrection yet, but this is all background up to that point. We're going to come back to this text in the future. And that's why I want you to come back. If this is your first time here, I'd like you to come back. It'll be a couple years before we get there, but I want you to stay with us. <laughs> Those are laughing. Know how slow I move through the passages. We're going to come back to this. This I Listen, one of my favorite chapters in the book of Romans is Romans 6. It's powerful, the whole thing. I wish we had time to do it, but we just don't this morning. But we're going to come back to this text. We're going to look at it. We're going to cover it in more detail. So, But for this morning, I just want to give a quick explanation for you on this On Paul's question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? It's rhetorical. We can't. That's what he's saying. We can't. Are you kidding me? I mean, the idea that we as Christians would continue to willfully live in sin is ridiculous and outrageous to Paul. Because when a person truly trusts in Jesus Christ the Lord as their sinless Savior, remember that, he is the sinless Savior. Believing him to be the perfect and permanent solution for their sin problem. (laughs) Something happens to them, the scriptures tell us. They die to sin. They die to sin. Which is to say that Christians at the moment of their conversion, at the moment of their salvation have died to or are separated from, because that's what death means, it means separation. Hear me, I'm going to read it slow. Have died to or separated from the realm or the sphere or the place that they used to live before they placed their faith in Christ, the realm or the sphere or the place in which sin was their cruel taskmaster. Where sin had absolute power over them. And when they come to Christ, they are removed from that realm. They are removed. They have died to it. Now Paul is not telling the Christian to die to sin. It's not a command. He's not saying, you need to die to sin. Listen, look at the text. He's telling them, you have died to sin. They have been set free from sin's rule over their lives. It is a fact. It is a reality. But it must be believed and acted on. This is why he says in verse 11... As you move through, I wish we could cover the whole thing, but I'm just trying to pull the pieces together for you. You get down to verse 11. He says, so you also must consider yourselves or reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. You got to believe the truth about what has happened to you because of your union with Christ. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body or rule over you to make you obey its passions. 
Listen, you've got to consider yourself dead to the power of sin in your life. It has been broken. Therefore, stop letting it rule you. It's a faith issue. It's believing with the word of God. You know that's all that the Christian life is. It's believing what the word of God says. It's not magic. It's not voodoo. It's faith in the word of God. So we'll come back to that in the future, but we're going to move on to verses 3 through 5. Paul goes on to explain further this idea of our death to sin. And in doing so, he also mentions the point I want to get to this morning and is connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, Romans 6, 3. Look at your text. He's still dealing with this issue. Do you not know? This is still all based on that question. Are we supposed to sin so that grace would abound? Really? No! Don't you know you've you've died to sin? So he says now in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you not know that? Now, I need to quickly discuss a couple of things with you. Otherwise, you could get really confused here. The word baptism or baptized does not always refer to water baptism. Did you hear what I said? The word baptism or baptized in the scriptures does not always refer to water baptism as you and I would normally associate it. The Greek word that the word baptism directly comes from basically means this. Immerse, plunge, or even drown. Immerse, plunge, or even drown. That word is even used in Greek writings to, to speak of making pickles by immersing them into a solution of vinegar. Do you have the picture? You know, pickles, you put them into a, they're drowning or they're submerged or immersed or plunged. That same word is used, baptized. Now, we don't have time this morning, but you can look at the verses in the Bible that use the word baptism or baptized where there is no doubt that it has nothing to do with water or the ceremony that you and I regularly refer to as the Christian ceremony as baptism. You can write these down and look at them later. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 would be one. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2 would be another. Luke chapter 12, verse 50 would be another place. And also Mark chapter 10, 38. There's four references. There are more. But there are many places in the scriptures where baptism does not refer to the ceremony of baptism or to water. Now, Taking all that and looking at the context of Romans chapter 6, I don't believe Paul's use of the word here, baptized, is being used as a reference to water baptism. So what theologians will call this, they call it a dry verse. That's how they refer to these things. They say this is a baptism dry verse, meaning it has nothing to do with water, nothing to do with the ceremony. Rather, it refers back to the basic meaning of the word, immerse, plunge, or even drown. So here... The word is being used to apply being immersed or plunged into Christ. Immersed or plunged into Christ. Or to put it another way, of being united with Christ spiritually. Being united with Christ spiritually. It is the Christian spiritual union with Christ that Paul is referring to. And once you understand that, this verse This whole section makes sense. It makes sense. So at the moment when a person becomes a Christian, listen, they are united with, they are immersed into, plunged into Christ. Baptized into. 
And as a result, they are also united with his sin-bearing and sin-crushing death. They are baptized, as Paul says, into his death. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, plunged into his death, united with his death? Now listen, there's mystery to this, okay? Don't ask me to explain to you exactly how that all works. I don't know. I don't know because the scriptures don't say, but I do know what they say. And what they say, I want to say. We've been united with Christ in his death. There is something that has actually happened, and it is important for us to know and believe. That's why Paul makes the point. The Christian has been spiritually united with Jesus Christ, and therefore they have been united with Jesus in his death as well. Paul will go on to explain that in more detail. We won't look at it today, but I'll just read the passage to you. He'll say in verse 6 of chapter 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him. See that? We somehow were crucified with Christ when we became united with Christ through faith. And he says, in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He's still dealing with that question. Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid! Absolutely not! Are you kidding me? You missed the gospel. Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. See? Believe that. That's what he's saying. That's the truth. So the bottom line is, is that Christ's death for sin has become, through faith, our death to sin. Because of our spiritual union with Christ. Now, beloved, that is good and critical information for us to know. It's really important for us to know and to believe. And I would love to spend even more time talking about that. But that's not all there is to know. This is awesome. We who are Christians have not only been united to Christ in his death for sin... But we have also been united to him in his glorious and powerful resurrection. Look back at the text with me. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory or power. That's how you could understand that. Of the Father, we too, like Christ, might walk in newness of life. Still not sure what he's saying? Verse 5, 4, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now listen, we who have trusted in Christ, according to the word of God, have truly died with Christ. We were buried with him, the text says. Buried. All that's doing is Paul stressing the reality of Jesus' death. It really happened. You You don't bury people who are alive. I mean, you shouldn't. You know what I mean? That's normal practice. So, I mean, everyone understands that buried, okay, they were really dead. 
Jesus was really dead and we really died as well. However, we did not remain dead, but just as Christ was raised, we too have been raised, spiritually speaking. And one day, physically speaking. So that we might. Why were we raised spiritually? Why did we participate in this union with Christ's resurrection? Why? So that we too might experience newness of life. So that we too might walk in that newness of life. So that we too might live a new and glorious life. Now. Now, beloved. Not someday in the future. That's coming. That'll be the perfect glorious life. But it's a life to live now. A life that is lived to God. A life that is lived for the glory of God. Ha. Beloved, the same mighty power of God that we celebrate, that we get excited about, that raised Jesus from the dead, is the same exact mighty power that has also worked in us who have believed to resurrect us. To raise us up. And to give us new spiritual life. We who are believers have been united with Jesus in his death. And since that is true and it absolutely is. We can be certain it logically follows that we have also been united with him in his glorious resurrection. That's what Paul is saying. And remember this is all in the context of him making some statements. He's been explaining the gospel and God's grace and his unmerited favor. Wow, nothing we can do. God does it all. God forgives. And then he makes this statement about, hey, listen, where sin increases, God's grace abounds. What then? Shall we sin? Shall we continue to sin so that God's grace may abound? Are you crazy? We have been united with Christ. We have become partakers in his death to sin. We have been transferred from that realm into a new realm where sin is no longer our master, but Christ is. And not only that, we have been resurrected with Christ unto newness of life that we might live for him. You see that? You see that? That's the gospel. So this idea of I can sin away, it doesn't matter. You don't understand the gospel in all of its fullness. You don't know it then. That's all. You don't know it. Know it now. Know it now. There it is. This newness of life is referred to in many places in the scripture. Let me give you one you guys know really well. Paul says this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, listen to me if anyone is in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have been plunged into Christ, if you have been baptized into Christ through faith in his sacrifice on your behalf, if that has happened to you, he is a new creation. He's not going to become one someday or he hopes to be a new creation. He is right now. Why? Because the old has passed away. And behold, pay attention. Every time you say that word behold, that's what it means. Listen, that's what he's saying. Look, the new has come. The new has come. One writer says this, the resurrection of Jesus was not just a resuscitation. Okay? In other words, Jesus didn't go down and just wake back up the same type of person. Nope. It was an entirely new form of life. That's resurrection. People are resuscitated often on dying 
beds, in operating rooms, okay? That's not resurrection. Resurrection is something entirely different. It's being raised to life, to newness of life for the Christian. It says, in the same way the spiritual lives of believers in Jesus have a new, fresh quality. Beloved, we who have placed our faith in Jesus, have been united with him in his resurrection that occurred 2,000 years ago. And as a result, we now have new spiritual lives. Why? So that we may walk in them. Let me read you a passage. I'm not going to make a lot of comments, but let me just read you a passage from Ephesians. The same kind of ideas being communicated, these same thoughts, these same truths about the gospel and what has happened to those of us who have placed our faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, he's speaking to the Christians in Ephesus, you were in the past, this is true of you, dead in in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, walked, in which you once lived, in which you which did, that you, you lived in your sins. You were mastered by them. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's a reference to the Antichrist, to Satan. That's how you used to live. That's the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, those who are, are still rebelling against God, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, not good ones. And we're by nature, by our very nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath, beloved, not children of God. Children of wrath, deserving of wrath because of our willful sin, disobedience and rebellion. And then verse 4, but God, but God, not us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us Even when we were dead, separated from him in our trespasses, in our sins. You know what he did? When we placed our faith in Christ, he made us alive together with Christ. That's right. He made us alive with Christ. And then he says, remember by grace you have been saved. That unmerited favor of God. And he, what did he do? Raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are participators in in Christ's glory. Because we have been united with him. And I love verse 7. You know why he did all that? Here's the so that. Here's why God did all that. So that in the coming ages. So for all eternity. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are trophies. Those of us who have given our lives to Christ, we are trophies of God's kindness and grace that we display that forever and ever and ever. Wow. And one writer says, as Christ was raised from the dead in a manifestation of the Father's glorious power, so also are we raised to an entirely new way of living. Apart from Christ, people are dead in their sins, beloved. They're dead. They have no hope. They have no true life. But raised from the dead through faith in Christ, they enter an entirely new sphere or reality of existence. They are alive in Christ. And that's why it's ridiculous to think that we would continue to sin, that grace might abound. 
when you when you begin to understand the gospel, then you and especially here in Romans chapter six, then you would realize using the gospel as an excuse or reason to sin or willfully go on sinning is outrageous. It's outrageous because the gospel doesn't doesn't allow for that. Oh, we sin. And we have grace. But to think that we should sin or our sin doesn't matter or it's no big deal because God will just raise up and cover it anyway. That's a misunderstanding of the gospel. Because we have died with Christ and we have been resurrected with him to newness of life. You think that newness of life that God is talking about, that, that Paul is talking about, is a life given to sin? Come on. What do you think that life is? It is a life lived for the Lord. It is a life lived to God. It is a life lived for the glory of God, the one who showed his kindness towards you, his love towards you, the one who saved you and saved me when we didn't deserve it. When we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, beloved, it is good and right for us to remember the great historical event that it is because it is. It's never happened. Outside of Christ. All the other religious leaders, their bodies are dead and rotting and lying in a grave somewhere. In the dirt, in the earth. Christ is not. Christ is not. He is the risen Lord. But while we remember that historical event, it is also important for you and I as Christians to remember and celebrate the incredible spiritual reality that is true for us Because we have been united to Christ, not only in his death, but also in his glorious and powerful resurrection. And because of that, beloved, we have newness of life. We have the kind of life that is the only kind of life worth living. A new life that can truly enjoy God and is enabled and empowered to glorify him. If you're a believer this morning, you should know the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ should. It should, as that that short video said, it should, because of the truths of the gospel, redefine how you live every day. Every day, beloved. This is not a once a year thing for the Christian. We have been raised with Christ to newness of life. That happens on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. That happens in March and in May and in April. And all the other days that God gives us on this earth. It is not a one-time event. It is an event that has taken place in us and has implications for the rest of our life. Now, let me say this. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, by that I mean you have not placed your faith. You have not put your trust, your hope in him alone as your savior, as the one who can rid all of your guilt. Take it all away, never to be seen again, to remove you from the position of being a child of wrath and make you a child of God, a forgiven child of God. If you have not placed your faith in that one, the one who died on a cross, who gave his life, who took the wrath of God that every sinner deserves, he took that wrath upon himself. 
He took the punishment that we deserve. He did that so that God could fully and adequately be just and right in punishing sin. And He took it so that those who would place their faith in Him would not have to take it. Because if they were to take it, they would have to take it in an eternal place of torment called hell. A place where sinners suffer the wrath of God forever. Forever. Separated from God. Separated from true life. That's what Jesus did, beloved. If you have not placed your faith in that one, not only have you not died to your sin, sin is still your master. It owns you. And it will collect on you when you die. But you have not been resurrected to newness of life. You, you don't have newness of life, beloved. And people all over this world, every day, know something's missing. They know it. But because of sin, they know something's not right with their life. But because of sin, instead of turning to the one who can give them newness of life, who can fill the void that they know they have, instead of doing that, they turn to sex, to drugs, to many other things that ruins them and eventually takes away their life. Beloved, if you're here this morning... And you don't have a personal relationship with the saving one. And you want to have forgiveness of your sins. And even more than that, you want to know this newness of life. You want to be united with the one who is risen again. You want to experience what it's like to have a life that is worth living, beloved. I promise you, this is the only life worth living. The resurrected life. If you're looking for it, there's only one place to find it. You can't find it in a bottle of pills. You can't find it in sex. You can't find it in wealth. You can't find it in fame. You can only find it in the person of Jesus Christ. Because once you have been united with Him, you, Paul says, are united with His death, dead to sin. And just as you've been united with His death, you are united with Him in His glorious resurrection. You experience and have newness of life that you might walk in it, you might live in it, you might glory in it. And by that, glorify God, your Creator. The one who loves you and sent his son to die for your sins. Beloved, I know you're going to have a, a great day with your family today, and I trust. But listen, if you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you haven't done that, then today can really be nothing more for you than chocolate, clothing, and traditions. That's all you got. That's it. That's it. But for the Christian, this is so much more. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, if we understand that, we celebrate our newness of life because of that. Listen, I'll be up here. I'll be around. There are other people. We would love to talk to you. We would love to have a conversation with you about 
how you can be saved. You know, I, can, I could tell you to pray a prayer and, and you could do that. You could, you could do that. It's not magic. You could ask the Lord Jesus Christ right where you are in your seat. You could ask him, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I know I'm a sinner and I know I need a savior. So would you save me? You could do that right where you sit. And I encourage you, if you've never done that, do it. You don't have to come up here to get saved. That's not going to make you safe. It's between you and the Lord. Do it right where you are. But if you're not sure about all that, that's why we're here. That's why the church exists. We want to tell you. We want to tell you exactly how you can be saved. And what in the world are you waiting for? If you haven't been, here's you without Christ, trapped in sin, no newness of life. You are dead as dead can be. Under the wrath of God, awaiting his judgment. Why would you stay there? Why, beloved? Come over here. Freed from sin. Newness of life. Child of God. Guaranteed heaven. Risen with Christ. This is a way better place to be. Pray for those around you, beloved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for... Man, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your grace that has been poured out to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sins, was taken off that cross, buried, and according to your scripture and his word, was raised again the third day, gloriously, powerfully, never to die again. And Father, this is what's amazing. Your word says through your apostle Paul that we who have believed in Christ have been united with him in that death. Therefore, we have died to sin, been transferred from the realm where we were mastered by sin and placed into the realm where we can now live for you and and use our bodies and our lives as instruments of righteousness. Your righteousness, Father, that's incredible. Not only that, but God, we have been united with your son, Jesus Christ, in his glorious and powerful resurrection, so that we too might walk in this newness of life. We are new creatures. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Father, I plead with you now. There are those that are here that I am certain not because I know them, but I am certain just understanding how things work. They don't have a relationship with your Lord, with the Lord, your, our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. They don't have that relationship. They know about Him. They heard of Him. They maybe grew up with Him, but they don't have a saving relationship. And so none of the things I just read are true about them from Romans. They're still dead in their sin. And they have no newness of life. And Father... I pray that you would convict them through your powerful Holy Spirit that they would come to see that what they have been seeking and what they lack is Christ. And it is in Him and Him alone that they can finally and fully be rid of the power of sin in their life that wants to destroy them. And they can be granted the newness of life that they may walk in joy and peace and confidence and be able to live for you and glorify you. And in that, we will find our greatest joy because we were designed to live for the glory of you, God. Father, do your work. Save them. Save them. We ask in Jesus' name.